0: Good morning. Good to be with you all today. We're going to be con- continuing our series, What's So Amazing About Grace. Last week we talked about being recipients of grace, and today we're going to be talking about being dispensers of grace. Uh, one quick announcement, the library that's located here on, on, on the campus next to Renew Coffee, they wanted us to know that there are plenty of resources in the library about this topic of grace. And so even the book that inspired this series, What's So Amazing About Grace, uh, we have that book here and several others if you were interested in just diving deeper in this topic of grace. I just want to let you know about that. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty and matchless Son's Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of. God, speak to your people, those that are here, those that are watching at home online, those that will watch the rebroadcast. Father God, you know what they need. Speak to your people. God, help us to learn what it means to be dispensers of grace. King Jesus, you were the ultimate dispenser of grace, and help us to, by your grace, follow in your steps, it's in your mighty and matchless Son's Jesus name, Father. That we pray, Amen. You might be wondering what's in this bag, and the best way I can describe it is one hundred years of family history. There's a hundred years of family history in this bag. In his book, "What's So Amazing? What's So Amazing About Grace?" The author Philip Yancey tells a true story of a family who has a hundred year history that he describes as a hundred year chain of ungrace. There was a hundred year chain of ungrace that began in 1898 with dad, we'll just call him dad. And this this is a true story. These are people that he actually knew. This family was in Chicago. They uh, they had ten children. There were ten kids. Daisy was the eighth of ten kids, and uh, dad was a little difficult to be around at times. He had a hard time on his on his job. He could barely bring enough uh, income home to feed the children. And once he developed a drinking habit, it became even more difficult to feed the children. And he was just frustrated with life. Daisy said, in her own words, dad was a quote-unquote mean drunk. He was very abusive to the children and to the mother. One particular day, Daisy uh, recalls, a father said that mom had to leave. He wanted her out of the house by 12 o'clock noon. And if you can just imagine this, the children are grabbing hold of mom's skirt and grabbing hold of mom's limbs, saying, please, mommy, don't go, don't go. But dad would not relent. The mother is forced to leave. Daisy is looking out of the window as her mom walks up the street with her shoulders drooped and her suitcase in her hand. And this would continue a chain of ungrace in the family. Eventually, the children would be split up and they would uh, live with dad. Some of them would live with dad and some of them would live with mom. Daisy had to live with dad and she didn't like that at all. She couldn't stand her father in her own words. She, she, She had a bad relationship with him and she could not wait until she could get out of dad's house. True story, she grows up, the rest of the kids grow up, they move out of the state, they stay out of contact with their father, they don't hear back from him for a very long while. And then one day, he comes back into the picture. He had come to Christ, He had given his life to Christ while being homeless at a home, homeless shelter. He had given his life to Christ, He had given up alcohol, he was turning a new leaf, and he just wanted to apologize to his children. He knew that he had done wrong, he couldn't correct any of that from the past, but he just wanted to tell each and one of them, one by one, that he was sorry. He didn't want any money or anything like that. And so with some of the kids, he developed a relationship, but with Daisy, she still kept her distance. True story. Five years, the last five years of their dad's life, he took ill, and so he moved in with one of the other daughters. That daughter took care of him. Daisy lived eight doors down, never visited him once, never had her children visit him once. She said, I will never visit him. I don't care how sick he is. My children will not visit him. She kept that bitterness in her heart, and she continued that chain of ungrace. Daisy would go on to have her own children. She never picked up a drop of alcohol, but she had her own challenges. That bitterness stayed in her heart. Who knows? It just doesn't go away. You have to deal with it. And so she never fully dealt with it. And so when she had her children, her parenting could be best personified as her sitting on a couch with an ice pack on her head with her eyes closed, pointing and yelling at the kids. And this was during the Great Depression and she had six kids and another kid was just another mouth to feed and she was very harsh towards them. She'd say things like I wish I never had you, you kids ruined my life and she was just very very hard on her kids as much as she did not want to be like her father. She was continuing this chain of ungrace. She has six kids including a daughter by the name of Margaret. Margaret has four children of her own. Her parenting can be best personified as her sitting on a couch with an ice pack on her head with her eyes closed, pointing and yelling at the children. She was born in the Great Depression. She was raising her kids in the 60s. One of her sons, Michael, was kind of a hippie. He experimented with marijuana. He wore granny glasses, and he thought he was all-out cool. And so this was the 60s. He's he's rebelling, and she's like, I got to be tough on these kids. So she yelled at them and treated them just like her mother treated her. She was very harsh towards Michael, and she continued the chain of ungrace to Michael. She kicked Michael out of the house. Michael moved into a hippie commune, and there he lived his own life, and before he left his mom for the last time, she told him, I never want to see your face again. So maybe, and this is all a true story, and maybe Michael could break the chain of ungrace. Maybe, just maybe, could break this chain that was handed to him. We're not responsible for the chain that we receive, but we do have some responsibility of what we're going to do with the chain that we receive. And our big idea today is this, just because I receive a bad thing doesn't mean that I have to keep a bad thing or pass that bad thing along. And I know for some of us in this room, you might have received such a chain, and I know that's that's challenging, that's, that's difficult, not making light of it today. But when, we, when we're handed that chain, we have the opportunity to pass along something different. So Michael received this chain. He had an opportunity to pass along something different. True story, he moves to Hawaii with his, with his girlfriend. And he thought she was going to be the one that were going to settle down. Well, they broke up. And then he met another young lady while he was in Hawaii. She wasn't the one. They broke up. And he met another young lady while in Hawaii. She wasn't the one. They broke up. And then he met another young lady by the name of Sue. And he was like, Sue is the one. Sue is the one. They get married later get divorced and as he's on the phone with a friend talking about sue he says i never want to see her again a day in my life and he caught himself because he sounded just like his mother the chain of ungrace continued this is a, a hundred years of family history beginning in 1898 and continuing for many years years after but here's the thing Just because we receive a bad thing doesn't mean that we have to keep a bad thing and pass a bad thing along. Friends, we're not responsible or nor do we have control of the chains that we received. Some of you might have received a a good chain. There may have been a a history of love, of grace, of family, of forgiveness. My encouragement to you is to keep that, that chain going and make it even better for the next generation don't disrupt that, that, that chain. But for some, you have received uh, some very difficult chains of history that you've been inherited. And you're like, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to lead in love in a way that, that's so foreign to me? How do we do this? My, my encouragement to you is this. When that person who receives that chain decides to do something different and be something different, when you, when you decide to be that person, you can change a trajectory in a future in a generation. When, when someone says that I'm going to be a grace dispenser and not a venom dispenser, things change. Families change. Communities change. Eternities change. And sometimes this, this chain of ungrace can take place in the context of a family. Sometimes it's between tribes in certain parts of the world. You grew up hating this tribe because your, your father hated that tribe and your grandfather hated that tribe and we just, you just inherit that chain. Sometimes it's between nations. Sometimes it's between ethnic people groups and, and neighborhoods and communities where we inherit a chain of ungrace. But, but by God's grace, we have the opportunity to break such chains. And we're going to talk about that today. How do we break chains of ungrace so that we don't pass along that poison to the next generation. And so look no further than Jesus himself as he shares a story. We're going to peek in on a story of Jesus having a conversation with one of his disciples. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me, up to seven times? How many times should I forgive my brother or sister who who've sinned against me, up to, up to seven times? Many Jewish rabbis in this time period taught that forgiveness only needed to be extended three times once you forgave someone three times you had done good that was good enough if you forgave someone three times and if you think about it in real life that's a lot of times to forgive someone if they've if they've hurt you three times is, is, a, is a steep ask well Peter says well I think I'm gonna up the ante a little bit okay Jesus because we're doing this new thing not three times what up to seven times is that where we're going with this Think about it. Seven times is really a steep ask. Someone lies to you one time, you forgive them. Someone lies to you two times, and you forgive them. Someone lies to you three times after you've already forgiven them. That's a lot. Peter says we're going to up the ante seven times. Someone gossips on you and talks behind your back one time. And you forgive them in the context of a real relationship. You catch them the second time gossiping about you. Two times, you forgive them. Three times, you forgive them. Four times, five times, six times, seven times. Peter is saying, is it up to seven times, Jesus? Because even that is a lot. That is a tall ask. This is how Jesus responds. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. What? 77 times to forgive someone, to, let, to, 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 to uh, let my heart go there where I let that go, to let that go in my heart. 77 times? That's unrealistic. Is this a hoax? Is this a joke? Are they hidden cameras somewhere? Are you playing a prank on me? What do you mean, Jesus, up to 77 times? What Jesus is communicating is a higher standard for his people those who who, who claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ have been forgiven for an infinite, eternal amount of sin. When Jesus died on that cross for our sins, he died for an infinite and eternal amount of sin. We've been forgiven graciously. We've been forgiven lavishly. And he calls his people to forgive as they have been forgiven. And this seems like a tall ask but in reality, we've been forgiven for far more than, than we will ever forgive anybody else for. We, we've been given tremendous amounts of grace. There's this doctrine called substitutionary atonement. All that means is this. When Jesus died on the cross, he received our sin. And he became our substitute on the cross, and he, be, he, he was punished for our sin on the cross. He became our substitute. And we received his righteousness, his perfect record and the reward of eternal life. And so we, he receives our sin, we receive his righteousness. Anybody who's received that free gift of grace forfeits the right to be a vengeful person. We forfeit it. I, I, I can't be a vengeful person because of the grace that I have received. I've been loved and forgiven lavishly, and I'm called to love and forgive, forgive lavishly. Whenever I talk about forgiveness, I feel a responsibility, though, to say this: this this verse and verses like this that talk about forgiveness are not a license to abuse people, and they are not a reason for you to accept abuse. You can forgive. While creating healthy, emotional, and physical boundaries. Stuff like this has been used in the wrong way. So I just feel the responsibility to say this is not that kind of a a license. You still can forgive while putting the right emotional, physical barriers in place. Just felt the need to say that. Let's, Let's continue. Jesus tells a story here. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Some translations say talents. Now, he says 10,000 bags of gold. I don't know what, it doesn't matter what time period you're living in, 10,000 bags of gold is a lot, all right? That's a lot of resource. That's a big debt. So he was not able to pay. The master ordered that his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So one thing we can see here for sure, he owes a person who is of high authority. So he owes a king. This person has high authority and high ability to punish. And he owes a high amount, 10,000 bags of gold. And so because he has uh, sinned against someone of high authority and has a high debt the penalty for this is going to be very high. And that's when he says, well, we're going to, we going to settle this up, sir. We're going to sell you, your wife, and children. He messed up big time. Dads, you might think you or husbands, we might think we mess up sometime. I don't know if you've messed up that big. He's about to get the whole family sold off. This is terrible. And he is now in a position where he needs mercy. He needs grace. So what does he do? At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. Remember that phrase. Be patient with me. I know I've sinned against the king. I know I have this high debt. Be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay back everything. I don't know how he's going to pay back 10,000 bags of gold, but he says, I'm going to pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let Him go. This is amazing grace. This is amazing mercy. This person who has who has sinned much, who had a big debt, has been has been forgiven much and had their had their record wiped clean. A high offense, but an even higher act of grace. Surely a person who has experienced this kind of grace is gonna move forward and be a gracious individual to others. But as the story tells us, that's not exactly what takes place. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Last I checked, gold is far more valuable than silver. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged with him Just like he said, be patient with me. Be be patient with me, please. You you were forgiven. We all saw it. You were were forgiven this this large debt. Please, sir, be, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. The one who had been forgiven for so much has forgotten how much he's been forgiven and is now a very unmerciful individual. There's this songwriter named Christina Perry. She says, you're gonna catch a cold from that ice inside of your soul. It's just so cold. The urban poet rapper Kanye West said, how can you be so heartless? Can you be so heartless? When we've been hurt, or when we feel like someone owes us, the temptation to want to get them back or get what we deserve can be so strong. We might not, we might not say, say anything, but we, we, we can ruminate a, a, about what has happened and how we're owed and how they should pay for what they have done. Revenge can taste like a juicy, medium-rare steak. It can just... Tastes like a, a, a juicy porterhouse steak with, with mashed potatoes on the side. It can just, that's how vengeance and revenge can, can taste. And we just want to sink our teeth into it, not realizing that that steak is packed with poison. It's packed with poison and it may, it may, it may taste good. But, but lethal poison is flowing through our veins. But Jesus offers us something so much better than that, than that path. And sometimes our emotions are not on the same page as our intellect. We can hear. A sermon like this, we can read the words on the page of Scripture that call us to a higher call to forgive. But our emotions are not just ready; they're just not ready yet. My my emotions are not lining up with the black and white text of of Scripture. A woman who experienced adultery in her marriage wrote this wrote this prayer. It's a beautiful prayer, and it's one. Uh, that I've been trying to memorize recently. And it's a, it's a prayer that she prayed as she was going through her difficult situation. She says, Father, I forgive that person who hurt me and what my emotions will not yet allow for, the blood of Jesus will surely cover. I forgive that person who hurt me and what my emotions Will not yet allow for what my feelings will not yet allow for. The blood of Jesus will surely cover. She she applied the blood of Jesus to the situation in which she was experiencing so much hurt and so much pain, and it, and this work sometimes to work through uh, these feelings of pain and hurt. But we can apply the blood of Jesus to our sins and to those sinned against us. Let's let's continue. When the others saw what happened, they were outraged and told the master everything that had happened. They saw this individual who who had been forgiven so much And they saw this this act of hypocrisy out in public. How can you, who have been forgiven so much, do do this heinous act and be so cold and be so heartless? So they went and told everything to the master. Let's continue. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you, this is Jesus speaking, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. God's people are called, are called to a higher standard. And one of the characteristics of a person been, who has been saved by grace is, is that they forgive others. A, a telltale sign of a Christ follower is their capacity to forgive and forgive much because we know that we have been forgiven much. Sure, someone has wronged me. But I can never forgive them as much as Christ has forgiven me. God's people are just, are, are just different. That's what he's saying there. There's a higher standard for those who, who call themselves followers of, of Christ. And so when, when, when people see us, they should say, man, that, that person is different. That guy, that guy on my job, he just handles things. He handles things a little different. He's different. Or that lady that lives on my street, she's just different. I am a student of the civil rights movement. I, I love reading about it and hearing about uh, the, the, particularly the movement led by Dr. Martin Luther King, his nonviolent movement, and how he trained up young people in his day and and, and called them to a higher standard, to a higher a higher calling and of being non-violent in the face of violence. He, he trained groups called the Freedom Riders. He would meet with these young people, he'd visit these college campuses, and he'd prepare them to go inside of environments that were segregated in hopes of uh, helping to integrate those environments, to desegregate them. And uh, these young individuals, college students, would go into places like diners or waiting rooms, and they would just receive the harshest treatment, and they would not lash back out. So as, as people were spewing venom on them, they, they were dispensing grace back. And they were even putting their lives at risk. They would load up on these buses and they would go into these, these difficult towns knowing that everybody wouldn't make it back. But they were, they were uh, dispensing grace in the face of, of venom. One individual, Raymond B. Randolph Jr. was a college student at Virginia Union University. He was arrested for sitting in a segregated uh, waiting room, four months in the penitentiary in Jackson, Mississippi. And when he went down there, he knew what could happen. Uh, Raymond was directly trained by Dr. King. Dr. King came to his campus and prepared him for that journey. When he and the other students went on that bus ride down to the south in Mississippi, they knew what was possible. They knew that some of them would die, which some of them did. Some of them died. Some of them were maimed. Many of them were imprisoned, and Mr. Raymond was one of them, and he maintained his, 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 his poise. It's not that he didn't get angry, I imagine, who wouldn't get angry if you'd been spit on or hit, but he didn't let anger get him. He, he, he maintained his poise. Just because you receive a bad thing doesn't mean you have to keep a bad thing or pass that bad thing along. Four, four months in the state penitentiary in Mississippi, only to move forward and have a Supreme Court case filed in his, his name. Raymond B. Randolph Jr. versus the Commonwealth of Virginia. This case will be one of many cases that helped desegregate public places. A grace dispenser. And by God's grace, Mr. Randolph is here with us today. He's here with us today. Yes, please. He is a... Mr. Randolph, thank you, thank you, yes, thank you. Mr. Randolph is a member here at Ward Church now. He, he joined us with the Farmington Hills team, so he was originally a member of Grace Chapel, and now with Grace Chapel and Ward Church merging, he's a member of Ward Farmington Hills. I am extremely grateful for him. He's an example of how grace changes things. It was courageous grace. He stood in the face of evil and, and became a history. Changer. That's what happens. That's what happens when God's people become grace dispensers. That's what happens when God's people say, I don't, I don't, I have no control of the chain that was handed to me. I may have been handed a chain of ungrace, but that chain of ungrace stops with me. I'm not in control of the of the chain that I was given. But that chain of ungrace stops with me. So, so what, what breaks these chains? Grace is what breaks these chains. It's when someone says, I'm gonna be a grace dispenser, not a venom dispenser, and regardless of what was handed to me, I'm gonna do something different. Regardless of what happens to me, I'm going to do something different, regardless of what was handed to me. I'm not going to pass along to the next generation what I was handed. I'm going to, I'm going to make it and leave it a little better. Now that I have a daughter, I think about this stuff a lot more. I, I want to leave her, by, by whatever little I can do, something better than what, what I was handed. And one person choosing this can change a lot. I'm so thankful for Mr. Randolph. I would not be here today doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for people like that who, who, who gave, gave everything, who thought about something more than themselves. And so when one person starts their chain, the next generation can get something different. And now we got a new trajectory. And now we got a new, a new chain, something different. But that's what happens. When someone says, I'm going to be a chain breaker, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a, a grace dispenser, not a venom dispenser, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something different. And that might be very difficult. That takes work. For you to, to forgive someone and to let go of that bitterness in your life, that may take some real practical things like going and sitting in a counselor's office and working through some of that trauma and pain. That may look like joining a that may look like joining a a, a a grief group and working through your grief with some others. That may look like working with some people intentionally on your marriage because you want to pass something different along. And I just want to say this: it's not too late. Some of us might feel some guilt and shame. You might feel like, man, I've already messed up my chain. But but you but you're still here, and it's never too late. To, to do something different, to, to stop spewing the venom and to start uh, dispensing the grace. That's who God has called his people to be. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty and matchless son's Jesus name. I just want to pray with someone the prayer that that sister wrote. I want to pray with that person who's, who's hurt by someone this morning and doesn't know how to to break that chain, or doesn't know how to move forward, and doesn't know how to let it go, maybe, and whose intellect is saying one thing and their emotions are saying another. Father, I forgive that person who hurt me. And what my emotions will not yet allow for, the blood of Jesus shall surely cover what my emotions will not yet allow for. The blood of Jesus shall surely cover. God, I pray for the person here this morning or who's watching online who needs to accept your forgiveness. I pray that they would receive the free gift of grace today, that they would know that just like the son who ran off and came back home, that they are invited to sit at your table today. So I just pray for that person God, that they would come to you. The table is, is open for, for you, my friend, whoever you are. Grace is amazing. It's in your mighty and matchless sons, in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.